You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. And welcome to the Vicious Circle. Uh, Sid, thanks so much for sitting down with me again. I know we don't get to hang out like we used to because we're still quarantined, but uh, it's still fun to chat. No, it is. And I think today we're going to talk about the USWA, uh, my second run in the USWA. This is uh, actually both because it looks like you had a run with the USWA that overlapped the WWF. And I think I understand why by our little conversation. Right. So, So now... How did the USWA, how did you get in touch with them or how did it all happen after leaving WCW? Well, I'm in a tough spot right there. Um, You know, I can't go back to WCW. I left WWF. I'm not going to call them. And that was something I never did. I never made a phone call in this business. People called me. So I was going to have to wait that out. So Lawler got in touch with me to see if I'd be interested. I came in. We worked out a deal to where I could make pretty good little money right there be home every day and um went from there and how where that went to was of course he was um just started doing that angle with brett hart working in wwf you know and so um vince for whatever reason started sending people into memphis to work with me um just to get i guess get a feel what what we were doing and everybody they time they said someone man we almost sold out the coliseum especially with undertaker and I didn't know how bad it was in WWF at the time, but we actually did better business in Memphis with some of their guys than I did when I went to the WWF. That's how bad they were struggling. Really? Yeah. I remember working with Undertaker in WWF and we couldn't, I don't think there was ever a thousand people or more in the venues or whoever I was working with, Taker, Bret Hart, whoever it was. Um, when we, they were sent to Memphis to work with me, we'd put minimum of 6,000 people in there and sometime almost sell it out. So, um, that, that just tells you that Lawler was doing the right thing with me. Even when I went to the WWF, they weren't doing the right thing. Cause that's what that we've talked about that. That was the beginning stages of being on the weapon post. Right. So then who approached you from USWA? Lawler. It was Lawler. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, he got a hold of you and said, here, come in and we're going to try this. And like you said, the first thing they did was give you the title. Right. You know, and I love that angle. I was watching that. That was kind of fun. You know, the whole beat up Lawler in the back and, oh, you you can't come to the ring. You can't win the match. Right. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is, even though Lawler made, we talked earlier in one of these episodes about how when we're in that position, be him, Dusty, whoever, uh, Kevin Nash, when he was booking, they can't help but say, put themselves in spots they shouldn't be in. And um, even though Lawler was in that spot all the time, he knew with me that one, he could trust me, and that two, that he knew that I was automatic money. He didn't have to do stupid things with me like he would have done with other people. So 
um, being able to do correct business was why I was able to draw money with some of Vince's top guys where we couldn't do it in WWF because Vince wasn't doing the right business until he did start. When he did start doing right with me, Rob, it's well documented. Then the business changed and turned around. So, but uh, at that point, he wasn't going to do that. He's trying to teach me a lesson. Well, you and Jerry had like 10 years of history now too, because he was one of the first people got you in continental. Right. You know, Lord humongous. I, I, I still watch that footage where he brings you out to face Mark Calloway, mean Mark back right. then, you know, right, right. Or, or no, what was it called? The mean machine. Was, was it the mean, mean Mark or was it, um, the Punisher? Mean Mark. Sorry. That's right. Cause yeah. And it's very fun to watch because you guys come nose to nose and you're just, you're a hair taller than, uh, Mark at that point, you know? Right. But, uh, so yeah, you guys have all this history. You know, so I, I understand why he would get a hold of you about coming in and, and working the, this particular territory. Now, right. was it like that? Was it like a territory again, as opposed to, you know, WCW, WWF, where you're on the world stage? No, it was your um, small, you know, local territory, not independent. It was definitely a step above that. But where we ran the same shows and you had a steady, you know, like Louisville was on. Memphis was Monday at the Coliseum. Louisville at Louisville Gardens was Tuesday. Evansville was Wednesday. And then from there, you do spot shows like every other Saturday was um, Nashville. Then maybe every two or three Saturdays was Jonesboro. And we always had TV tapings on Saturday morning. So <clears throat> you had a routine that you were into. Okay. And, uh, oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I had a question in my head. This is about Lawler. I went to look for something else and I totally lost my train of thought. Now, um, you said this wasn't quite like being in a territory when no, uh, it was, it was a territory. Not, I said, not like being in independent where independence, you know, you didn't know where you were going to be at. Um, this was an every, you know, you knew you were going to be in Memphis. You knew you were going to be in Louisville and you were going to be in Evansville and Nashville, uh, through that week, you know? Gotcha. And that's, I'm sorry. It just reminded me too. And that's what I wanted to say because this is technically USWA is continental. It's no continental's below USWA. Okay, from what I'd read, Continental kind of was absorbed by USWA. They had purchased Continental and they purchased one other one, and that's what created. No, Memphis, no, Memphis was Memphis. It was USWA, Memphis Championship Wrestling. Then underneath that was Continental, which they did overlap. Like, like I know we both territories were in Columbus, Mississippi. Continental ran it more often than Memphis did. We did better there. Uh, Continental also ran Amory, Mississippi, was was the outskirts of both TVs overlapping. When Memphis ran it, they didn't do very well there. But if we, we couldn't go any farther than that, then Memphis would start beating us. But Continental went as far as over east, as far as Knoxville, where Memphis sort of stopped at Nashville. As far as going east, their TV stopped there. And then uh, we went to Knoxville as far as – went up to Kentucky – as far as south is like Panama City and um, Pensacola. And then as far as east, coming down was a little bit. We I think we did Columbus, Georgia once or twice. We did Huntsville, Alabama once. But Continental, I think, had a better, better, it was a better territory. So what were your feelings coming back to this kind of environment again? Because this is back to studio taping, you know. Uh, again, watching the shows, it's like old WCW, old NWA you know, where you're in the studio recording 
and the crowds there. What, right. what was it like coming back to that kind of environment? You know, it was because I've already been there, so I was used to it. So to me, I knew I was just biding my time till you know, one of these two companies would pick me up again, you know, and that's what I was doing. Was just, there- Rob, like I've, I've said this before, I was forcing myself to be used. Uh, either it wasn't the way I wanted at first, but, you know, keeping your nose to the grindstone, for me, keeping my nose to the grindstone got me where I wanted to be. Was there any particular angles uh, when you got into USWA that you kind of liked, you know, the the stories that were driven with you? Well, I liked the one Lawler was creating. It was give me a chance to get over, give me a year to get over for what me and him actually were to work together. And it was working. So if I could work with somebody with no time involved, like uh, King Kong Bundy or um, in their territory, it was, uh, say, Jeff Gaylord, where he really wasn't over. But I was drawn with p- these people that weren't money drawers. So, you know, again, given a chance to get over, you know, you got a chance to, you know, sell tickets. And by doing that, Rob, that's how you got to the next level. When people said, okay, this guy's selling tickets, we need to use him. And that's what I figured would happen. And they had already proven myself in the other two territories that I was successful and that I think my success and ability to be successful, you know, eventually got me back to where I wanted to be. Well, and we've, we've talked to about this, where you build a feud and that feud will drive people. And it looks like that's what you and Lawler did, because like you said, you, you guys built that story for almost a year. Right, right. You know, they always had. You the know, unfortunate thing is we, never, we didn't really get a chance to blow it off. We Like, for instance, me and Lawler would work. He had a little small town that he ran himself, like over in, um, where was it? Mark Tree, I think it was called. And, you know, we worked in little sh- you know, shows like that. We could see already it was paying off. Because those little venues were selling out, you know, doing really well. So we knew when we brought it full time into the full circuit of being Memphis, Louisville, and Evansville, Nashville we were going to have some success with it. And how did your run work with W or USWA? I'm just curious because uh, they have you listed in USWA from 94 to 96, but yet they have your second run in WWF listed from 95 to 97. This is the thing is when I was working for Vince and them on my days off, I'd still work for Lawler and them. Okay. So you were drifting back and yeah. Okay. During that period, which did you prefer? Did you prefer what was going on in WWF, you know, the big stage, or did you like the... Well, I, to be honest with you, I enjoyed working the USWA better because it was, it was again, I, I had a chance to be, you know, not be judged on what I've done to people other than what I could do in the, you know, as far as selling, you know, being, you know, contribute to the business. In the WWF, it was just all about getting me back. And so, you know, if they would have used me right, it would have been a lot of fun. Now, when they started using me right, I had more fun there than I did Memphis because I was being successful. Gotcha. So it, Lawler was running, like, or I don't know if like running USWA, but he was booking USWA then? Well, it was him and Randy Hells and Jerry Jarrett had been, I guess, burned out. Randy Hells was running for Jerry Jarrett. And this is it, too. Rob, this was just right before they shut down. Actually, after I left. We talked about this. It wasn't long after that they did shut down. It wasn't because of me leaving. But, um, no, um, you're right. I think in '97 they shut down. You ended in '96, and it was the beginning of '97 that they shut down. Right. Now, I was still going there, so, but I, it, it was because they did that feud with Smoky Mountain that what shut them down. And we talked very heavily about that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, 
while you're working with these guys, what prompted you to look back at WWF? Well, um, what happened was I was on the way to Louisville to do a show, and I forget who came to me and said, hey, Viz called me and said, hey, man, I want you, I got a flight for you. We're going to fly you in to, uh, to the office, and we're going to talk, and then we'll get you back to the show that you're going to, and someone will pick you up at the airport. So I flew to Connecticut, went to their office, sit there and talked about it, and they told me what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to try to come in and help get Kevin Nash over. Um, and then after that working angle with Sean and I was told that I was going to get a chance to get myself back over after that, uh, which, um, never really happened uh, until I came back from my neck injury and was able to be put in a spot that had to use me. And then, then I, I was looking, I got the success I was looking for. So even working in USWA, they got a hold of you. It's like you might want to see what they're offering. Like, I guess, yeah, because you said you were just kind of biding your time, waiting to see who would uh, pick you up first. Right. Well, see, again, I didn't know that the business was that bad in WWF. I had an idea when I saw some of their talent on TV. I said, man, these guys, what are they doing there? You know. So um, when I got there, I didn't realize it was bad as it was. But they needed me worse than I needed them. USWO is bringing in some of their talent to do shows with you, you said? No, WWF was bringing people, you no, know, sending people me to work with in USWA. Right. And we, I was doing pretty good numbers with these guys that we had no issue with. But once I got to the WWF and got on their TV, of course, I, one, once I said too, is I saw how bad it was. And then again, they never gave me a chance to get over. They really put me straight on that whipping post. And it was, uh, it was, they're the ones that paid for that, not me. You know, I didn't make the money I could have made there, but still I made okay. And see, that's interesting. I can picture, you know, the smaller companies bringing WWF talent in to make appearances and do stuff like that. You said the Fed was actually sending them down. Right. What would be the reason behind that? Like, would, do you know why they would do something like that? Well, I, I took it as they were seeing, testing me to see what first, you know, put, put, let's send a guy there to work with Sid and let's see how it gets over. And then they, they, okay, he's selling, you know, they brought these guys in and we're now selling tickets two, three times what USWA was selling. And then I didn't know this, Rob, but I was selling three, four times what they were selling WWF. See, I think they're still doing good business, which they're not. You know, not one time did I go to a show in WWF. We had as many people we did there at the Coliseum. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. Right. Okay. So now, um, in the USWA, how much influence did you have? Like, I know Lawler's book and everything and all that, but how much influence did you have over what was going on? Like, were you active in in uh, writing? And not, I mean, this is the thing. Is, this is, you know, if I wanted to do something like, I came up with an idea to use this kid with Down syndrome. Um, again, Rob, I don't want to book Memphis because it's no future there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to be in the booking committee in WWF or WCW. I didn't want to. Again, I knew I was only going to be there for a short time. Now, I had all the input I wanted to put in. Like I came up with the angle to use that kid with Down syndrome. Brought Scott Hall in. Um, we both worked at WWF. Brought him in and did a big angle. We sold out the Coliseum pretty much. Um, so if, if I wanted in, input, I could put it in. Uh, just didn't want to all the time. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. And and that's a kind of a nice spot to be sitting in too, isn't it? Right. Right, exactly. 
you know, everybody's taking care of you. You know, you can do what you want to. For me, I, again, I, I did what I wanted to and, and no more than that. So if you had your, your chance right now, would you prefer to be on a giant stage or would you prefer just the little indie shows? Man, honestly, I would, I mean, if I had a chance, I'd like to say, I would really like to do a territory like Continental one more time. Um, you know, that was the fun part of my career was Continental. Yeah. Uh, there was no worries. There was no pressures. I didn't know what jealousy was. So I wouldn't mind going back to that run one more time, you know, making the road trips and all that like that. Um, that'd probably be what I'd like to do one more time. That does sound like it, it's more of an intimate setting. Right. Well, again, all the pressures are off. I don't want any pressure anymore, you know. Um, and then, two, the small territories were just – they were just – again if you go through full circle like that to me rob where you know i'd want to end my career differently on the big stage and once i ended that if in the perfect world of the small territories were still existing but they're not i wouldn't mind say using that as um just as keep myself busy type of deal gotcha so now while you're working with the fed you keep coming back and you're doing shows with uswa what made you do both well, one is that um, Lawler was nice enough to put me in a position where I got my job back. And then um, I said, you know, I told him, if you can use me, let me know, and I'll come in and help you out. So it, it was basically the reciprocation. Like you keep talking in right. this business. It's it's helping put over other people. Right, exactly. And then, too, again, I guess it just, you know, um, I felt like, you know, again, he helped me and I, if there was something I could do to help him, that's why I brought Scott in and we did that angle in Memphis and, you know, did like two or three shows in a row there for Lawler and he appreciated that. And he's always, again, been really good to me and I was just returning the favor. That's awesome. And see, and that, that shows your respect in the business, I think. Right. Nice. Um, I've pretty much reached the end of the questions for that period because I don't, I I don't want to start into WWF because that's going to be a, a whole episode all on its own. Sure. So what I wanted to do is we did a live episode um, a bit ago, and there were a couple people that commented after we went off the air. And okay. I wanted to get your opinion on some of the questions that they had. Uh, one of them was Jonathan Dwyer. Oh, Dwyer. Um, he said, do you have a favorite promo that you delivered in your career? Because he said your delivery and facial expressions were awesome. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. One of them um, that I felt was really good, it was all Vince McMahon's idea, is where I did an interview in, in the empty arena at the Alamo Dome where they were doing a raw taping, and um, it was about me and Sean meeting there. Uh, I thought that was – it helped sell that place out. So I think it was one of the better interviews as far as helping the cause, you know, selling tickets and stuff like that. I think that was, um, it wasn't a long interview, but I think it was a pretty good one. How important do you think the promo is in the scheme of wrestling? I think it's really important, especially if you got like, say for me, a, um, say just say basically a big guy with big muscles and could do a lot of stuff. If I didn't have the promos, I wouldn't have got where I was, where I got to Rob, um, where I was able to reach. Um, so I think it's at least 50% depending who you are in the business of, 
Um, say Michael Hayes had, I think, a decent promo, but he never was going to sell sell out arenas, you know. So um, if you're someone like me, promos were a big part of what I, my success. And this is a question I just actually just thought of now because you mentioned Michael Hayes and stuff. You were never a wrestling fan going into it, but once you got into the business, did you ever go back and watch old stuff? Yeah, I love watching like um, I used to tape uh, those tapings on ESPN of old matches and uh, AWA stuff. And when you watch one of those just one show, you go, "God, this was boring." But if you sit there watch say six or eight in a row. You go, okay, now I'm you know, Colonel, Colonel De Beers, who I thought was the worst person in the business. I actually got I got with what he was doing. You know, so no, I, I loved watching tapes and because um, that's how you learn what you want what you're wanting to try to do. Exactly. I, and it's it's weird because I find that uh one of the phrases that they say about the world, you know, those who don't follow history are doomed to repeat it. It's the same with wrestling, right. you know. If no, it is if you're not staying up to date then you're just going to do old stuff over again. Right, and that's what I do. I didn't want to do old stuff, so that's why I'd watch some of the stuff, you know. Excellent. Now, what's the best country in the world that you've ever wrestled in? Um, I love Europe, uh, Germany, and all those places like that, but I never got someone's really a chance to wrestle there. I went to promote it, but the best country for the people I ever went to is Australia. Really? Yeah, they were really nice people and just a beautiful, clean country. Um, uh, I was, I've been there twice, and I think both times it was really awesome. See, and that's one country I want to visit, I know. I, um, one of the questions here from Clement August Augustine, I hope I said his name right, I'm sorry, Clement. What is your real height? And because that's one thing, if you, if you go into the business, you know, they'll say this is, you know, Undertaker build at seven, two, you know, and I know that's wrong, but, but they always exaggerate just a little bit. Were they very off on your stats? I think so. I think I've always considered myself about six, six, even though I was measured that. And, you know, when I went out for the showboats and that's an accurate measurement, they do that with your shoes off. So I was six, six with my shoes off and. What happens in that, Rob, when you're working with someone, like I remember working with Billy Gunn, uh, he built built himself at 6'6". Six, six. I'd go, no, Billy, you're not 6'6", six, six. I'm 6'6". Six, six. And he'd go, no, you're 6'9". <laughs> you know, he wanted to be 6'6", six, six, which he wasn't. Uh, so um, that's what happens a lot of times where you get built higher than you are because the other guy is building them the same as you. And then the guy who's putting your weight or height down says, well, we got to change this here because you're taller than Billy. You know, so put whatever you want, you know. That's a, okay. I always wondered because I thought I always thought it was for television because when you see people on TV, they could be seven and a half feet tall. You can't tell, right? But yeah, I guess that makes more sense. Yeah, Billy's coming up to you saying he's six six and he's well. Dead. He he wasn't the only one. I just used him for example. Yeah. Um, David Alderman asked the question: Did you keep any of the belts or have any memorabilia from past matches? I know you have one because you mentioned it to me. Yeah, I had one, but my kid lost it. It was the Southeastern uh, heavyweight champion that Lord Humongous had. That it was actually vacant. They just gave it to me to take around to look cool. Um, but uh, I never lost it in the cap. But then um, it got misplaced somewhere in the last couple of years. Now, what about memorabilia? Because you mentioned Lord Humongous. If I'm not mistaken, you still have that original suit, don't you? Yeah, I got that suit. Uh, I got the one Lawler gave me. 
and I got a couple of the, a couple of the hockey masks I collected over the time. See, the, I love that gimmick. I, I'm a big fan of the Road Warrior too, though. So. Oh, me too. I love that. I, I've always wanted to do a gimmick like that again. You know, matter of fact, you know that that's something I tried to do with the WWF to come back as a character, sort of like Lord Humongous. I think that would be awesome. Um, do you have any other memorabilia like that? Because I imagine you've kept a couple of vests. You must have. Yeah, I've got my wrestling gear, and um, but you know. I don't keep uh, wrestling gear because it was WrestleMania stuff like that. I couldn't tell you what I wore in those matches. He probably wore it to a whole bunch of different matches. Yeah. And just, just off the top of my head for this one too, is there anything that you would have changed in your career coming up? Cause you said you're in the right place at the right time and everything came up, you know, leading perfect other than obviously, the, the leg break, which kind of stopped things pretty darn fast. Right. Up until that point, though, was there anything you would have changed and done different? Because it seemed to be leading you down the best path. Right. I think the only thing I would have hoped I wouldn't have done, I wish I had just took that deal WCW offered me and waited uh, to go to the WWF uh, under better circumstances. Um, I wish I would have addressed that differently, you know, maybe. Uh, I wish I'd been so trusting uh, and also uh, depending on myself a lot, turn down guaranteed money to take no guaranteed money, just a percentage. So I wish I would handle that as a business person a little differently. I can see what you were looking at though, because you were looking at the potential. Right. I was looking at the potential. Gotcha. All right, Sid, I think we have reached the end of this one. Let's get to a question and see what they have. Let's see what they're talking about. And this week's question comes from Steve in Toronto. Steve, what have you got for us? My main question for you, Sid. How was it working with Macho being in part of Team Madness? How was that? You know, all that's fun. Don't get me wrong. And being a part with Randy Savage, I got one story out of the whole deal that really meant a lot to me. A lot of people won't get this story. I'll tell, tell you about it. But being with him, he's the one that sort of got me introduced to the business so it was fun being with him stuff like that but they asked me once they said we're gonna let you have medusa as your manager i went no uh, i don't need a manager and this one little gig like this together is be the only gig that i do with someone together i don't like being i like being by myself and uh they knew that but anyway one of the gigs that was sort of fun is me and randy was working with dean malenko i want to think it was chris benoit it might have been dean malenko and perry saturday but one of those two and uh, it was a thunder taping and Dean Malenko said, Hey man, this is when I was trying to build up my, my victories go against uh, Goldberg. So he goes, man, I do a really good drop toe hold. Do you mind me doing it to you? I went, yeah, I do mind Dean. I'll tell you what we're going to do. You're going to come in the ring. He said, first he said, I'm going to come in the ring. You to drop toe. Hold. I said, no, this is what we're really going to do. You're going to come in the ring. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to kick you to the gut. And I'm going to power bomb you. And we got the referee count. That is 61. So that was 61 victories, what I built up to. Then I'm going to do the other thing to Perry or Chris. Then Dean, I'm going to pick you up for a second time and get another win and just keep getting wins. And uh, and uh, so we walked away, and, and Randy goes, man, I love that. Because, you know, that, you, know, you got to sort of take care for yourself in this business. And I'm not going to go out there and do a drop toe ho for Dean Malenko. Didn't know him and didn't care to know him, you know. But, uh, no, Randy – and I both came from that side of the business where, and I say, I told, I say this all the time. I was the bigger, biggest opportunist in the business. 
If I said that to you and you allowed that to happen to you, I went ahead and went with it. You know what I mean? So I just kept adding numbers, you know, because when you're told to do something, guys, this is for sure. I had the green light at that moment. So you just got to sort of ab lib and sort of build up your own victories right there. Excellent. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.